Welcome to the Big Gay Fiction Podcast production of A Very Winger Christmas, written and read by Jeff Adams. Author's note. One of the inspirations for the Codename Winger series is the Disney animated series Kim Possible. My favorite KP episode is A Very Possible Christmas, in which Kim's best friend Ron tries to handle the mission solo so Kim doesn't miss out on her family Christmas pastimes. It became a must-watch special each season alongside classics like A Charlie Brown Christmas, How the Grinch Stole Christmas, Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer, and others. I wanted to give Theo a holiday story since I conceived this series, and this is finally it. I hope you enjoy it as much as I did writing it, which was a whole bunch. Within the Winger series, this takes place between Tracker Hacker, book one, and Schooled, book two. Don't worry, if this is your first Winger story, there are no spoilers, and all you need to know is that Theo is a secret agent alongside his parents. Whitney Houston's Do You Hear What I Hear blasted over the rink speakers as Mitch made a deft move to break us out of the defensive zone. From his position, he intercepted a pass and headed toward the neutral zone. I kept opposing D busy, allowing Mitch to pop the puck off the board so he could pick it up on the other side of the blue line. I hustled after him with the D I'd grappled with hot on my heels. Once I got close to Mitch, we made tight passes and zigzagged our way to the offensive zone. The far side D ended up in front of us, keeping to the middle lane. He'd paid attention to Mitch's strategy and made sure to get ahead of us. Rebic wouldn't give us any space. The problem playing against your teammates was that we all knew each other's game. Yo, 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 Spires announced himself coming in hot from the bench. One of this season's freshmen, he'd already proven to be a reliable teammate. He sped into the middle of the play as Mitch and I spread out to make things tougher on Rebic, since his D partner wasn't with him yet. Mitch looked between me, Rebic, Spires, and Angles, who was in net. Mitch had a plan. He focused on me, but pivoted last second with a pass to Spires, who continued toward the net. Spires barely settled the puck before he shot. Score. I got chills between the goal and Whitney soaring into the final verse of the carol. The blend of vocals and music was perfect and exactly the type of music I loved. My parents hooked me on a 1980-something CD called A Very Special Christmas Long Ago, and it became my go-to collection of carols. For the Christmas Eve game, each player contributed two songs to the playlist. Mine always came from this disc, Whitney and Bob Seger's Little Drummer Boy. While I loved hockey, this pickup game had a special place in my heart. Not only did we play with music, but the positions got mixed up since players went on for whoever came off. The game wasn't just the usual teammates either. Friends and family could play too. Fun ruled all. We also played without most of the pads. We wore helmets and gloves out of necessity. Why no pads? Christmas sweaters. Those didn't easily fit over pads. Yes, this had become an ugly sweater party. This year, Eddie found me an awesome one featuring Tron that had light cycles, identity discs, recognizers, bits, and programs all over it. He played the role of good boyfriend and didn't question my obsession with the movie, even though he didn't understand it. Ever since I'd seen it when I was six or seven, I wanted to be Flynn and get sucked inside a computer. To this day, when I infiltrate a computer network for my work with tactical operational support, I imagine it looks like the Tron universe. My name is Theo Reese, and I might be a nerd. Nice shot, I said, clapping Spires on the back. Way to announce yourself, too. You guys needed to know I was there, man. It sure worked, Mitch said as he headed back to the bench. We weren't on the bench more than a minute before the Zamboni horn sounded, letting us know that the 90-minute game was over. This never lasts long enough, I said to Mitch as we headed to the locker room. Mitch chuckled. You say that every year. Is it the music or the sweaters? Both. These are things that make a perfect Christmas game. And kudos on this year's sweater. Right? He sounded so proud as he grabbed at what he wore and held it out. Mom outdid herself. I may never get another one because I don't think this can be topped. He'd gotten an actual jersey with a red and green pattern featuring trees and snowflakes. So is your dad making it home for the Reese holiday traditions? The last I heard was that he was on track to make it. Hopefully there are no messages waiting for me that say otherwise. Oh good. I still remember how upset he was that Christmas when you were nine.
Back then, I didn't know exactly why he'd missed, but by the following holiday, I did. My quirky family of agents didn't always get to be together when we wanted. Birthdays, anniversaries, hockey games, and other events could get missed due to TOS demands. Luckily, the agency was mostly chill over the holidays. We cleaned up, stored our gear quickly, and found Eddie hanging out with Mitch's girlfriend, Iris, in the rink lobby, with some of the other friends and family who'd either played or watched the game. Eddie drew me into a hug and gave me a quick kiss. Hey, he said as I turned to stand next to him. He kept his arm draped across my shoulders. You guys should play with the soundtrack more often. It amps up the fun, especially when someone breaks out and sings along. He looked to Mitch. How can you not sing along to All I Want for Christmas is You? Mitch asked in earnest. And it's not like I sang the whole song. If I'd been called out for something like that, I'd have gone several shades of red. Mitch, however, remained unapologetic any time he busted out a song lyric. You were adorable, Iris said, carrying the puck and doing your best, Mariah. She kissed his forehead. I was moved, he grinned. Let's get out of here. I want to know what my secret Santa got me. We made our goodbyes, headed to our cars, and made for our favorite diner. Each of us had a gift bag with us as we regathered at the restaurant. This was a newer tradition. At least I hoped it became one, since this was only the second time we'd done it. While Mitch and I had been friends forever, Eddie and Iris had come into the picture last year, and the four of us became a tight group. Who's got my present? Mitch asked eagerly as he looked to Eddie and me. Iris didn't have it because she couldn't be his secret Santa, just like Eddie couldn't be mine. Excited didn't do justice to Mitch when it came to presents. Ever since the first birthday party I went to for him, when we were four or five, he practically vibrated when it was gift time. Calm down, Iris said, pulling him to the host stand. I know that's difficult. Four, please, she added to the hostess who pulled menus from the stack. We didn't need those, since we could practically recite all the items. We ordered chicken tenders and nachos rather than our usual big meals because we all had family dinners tonight. Once sodas arrived, we dropped our gift bags in front of the right person. Eddie had Mitch's. Mitch was Eddie's Santa. Iris and I exchanged. Yes, you can go first, Iris and I said at the same time to Mitch. We all knew him extremely well and chuckled when he clapped his hands before he peeked inside his bag. Eddie had stuffed it full of all colors of tissue paper. After Mitch calmly pulled out a couple of handfuls, he got more urgent in removing the barriers to his gift. Iris laughed, watching her boyfriend continue to put paper on the table even as it fell off onto the floor. Did you buy all the tissue? I wanted him to have enough, Eddie said. Oh, cool. Mitch produced a small Zamboni from the bottom of the bag. He rolled it along the table, pushing paper aside, grinning like a little kid. It'll go perfect with the little hockey guys you've got on your bookshelf. Eddie looked pleased. For sure. Mitch continued to drive it over Iris's arm, causing her to giggle. She truly loved being with such a big kid and his infectious fun. Thanks, Eddie. Okay, you go. From his bag, he removed a roll of paper tied with red and green ribbon. He squeaked as he unrolled it. What is it? I asked, leaning over to see. My face heated as I looked at a picture of me. How did you get that? Dude, this is awesome. Eddie continued to stare at the picture. How? I asked again, super curious. I got the idea because you two were ogling that hockey calendar in the bookstore about a month ago. I remembered it well. Hockey players in various poses and none totally dressed. They were ridiculously hot. Anyway, Mitch continued, I thought Eddie might appreciate a picture of you like that. One day you had the perfect pose, taping your stick, standing in front of your locker in just the pants. I managed to snap a picture, and I merged it with a calendar and, ta-da, an instant hockey hunk wall calendar. Oh my god, Mitch just called me a hockey hunk. I covered my face before it was the same shade of red as my hair. I love it. Look how intense you are getting the blade taped just right. He nudged me, and I peeked through my fingers to find him looking all happy. If I had to be embarrassed, at least it was for a good cause. How are you focusing on the tape? Iris asked. He's embarrassed enough already, Eddie replied. I don't want to make it worse. And that made it worse. While he'd seen me shirtless many times, something about the picture made me feel very much on display. I can't believe you took pictures in the locker room, or that I missed it, 
I'm glad you like it, Mitch said, ignoring my comment. Thanks, Eddie replied, rolling up the picture and tucking it back in the bag. Iris? You sure? You can go next if you want, Theo. Go for it, I said. I'd used a reasonable amount of colored paper, left over from what Eddie had bought for Mitch's bag, to hide the box that contained a flash drive on which I'd programmed three new modules for the outdoor Christmas decorations on Iris's house. She loves holiday lights, and Mitch had told me that she wanted her dad to buy some new programs, but the ones she wanted were pricey. I studied up on what she wanted and figured out how to do it. Mitch and Iris's mom helped me test it out one afternoon when she wasn't home. She looked confused as she examined the black plastic rectangle, but when she pulled out the folded paper and read it, her face lit up with a huge smile. Oh, Theo, she said loudly enough to draw looks from nearby tables. I can't wait to try these out. I hope you like them. And if you don't, just let me know what you want changed. You guys should come over tomorrow. My watch buzzed with Lorenzo's emergency pattern. Damn it. We could check them out. That's cool by me. What do you think? Eddie asked and turned his gaze to me as I tapped a button on the watch to acknowledge. Guys, I sighed, hating what I had to do. A client just sent me an emergency message. I've got to see what's up. Seriously? Eddie's brow creased. Go, Mitch said. I can't promise I won't repurpose your gift while you're gone or eat your food. Mitch grinned and took back the bag he'd set in front of me. Thankfully, Mitch kept the tone upbeat. I hoped that'd keep Eddie from getting too pissed off. Maybe Eddie should hold on to it while I'm gone, I said as I got out of the booth. I reached for the bag, but Mitch kept it out of reach. Nope. Mine until you're back. Go, Eddie said. I'm sure you and I can get it from him later if we have to. The flash of mischief in Eddie's eyes said we were okay. I walked away as our food arrived and sat in my car so I could take the call privately. Dr. Possible, I said as the call connected. Winger here. Sorry to bother you on Christmas Eve. He sounded stressed. I'm afraid we've got a code dark that I've been asked to bring you in on. We need to be on a conference call in 30 minutes. Can do. That gives me time to get home. What can you tell me? Currently nothing, I'm afraid. He sounded annoyed about that. The request comes directly from Raptor, and he provided no additional details to me or Red Hat. So much for a quiet holiday. This interruption came from the highest levels of TOS. Understood. I'll be online in 30. I need to say some goodbyes, and then I'll be on the road. Thanks, Winger. Lorenzo disconnected. Quickly, I returned to the table, dropped into the booth, and grabbed a chicken tender. I'm sorry, but I gotta go. I stuffed the chicken in my mouth to satisfy my post-game hunger. Everyone sounded their disappointment, and the earlier goodwill with Eddie went out the window as he fixed me with his trademark glare of disapproval. You need different clients, Iris said. Ones that know not to interrupt Secret Santa. At least she sounded sympathetic. Mitch handed over the bag. Open this before you take off. Thanks, man. I took the bag, and it had a bit of weight in the bottom. Inside sat a puck with the Detroit Red Wings logo emblazoned on it. Mitch often gave me grief about growing up in Boston and being a Red Wings fan, so gifting me a puck was cool. Nice. And thanks for not getting me a Bruins one. I pulled it out to show everyone, and as I turned it to display the logo, I found the unexpected. Dude. Heinrich Zetterberg's signature cut across the back of the puck in silver ink. How'd you get this? Eddie leaned over to look as I ran my finger over the autograph. An online charity thing last month. I'd been looking at Bruin stuff, and then I found that. We're supposed to have a $20 limit. This is... He shook his head and stopped trying to scoop up some of the beans and chicken from the nacho plate. Trust me, it wasn't too insane. Besides, if I can't splurge on my best friend... It's awesome. I put my fist out, and he bumped it after he got the nacho into his mouth. It's going on my desk right next to Eddie's picture. I'm okay with that only because it's a puck, Eddie said before kissing my cheek. I turned and gave him a quick kiss on the lips. All right, I gotta go. Don't let them keep you from Reese family traditions, Eddie said with a frustrated edge to his tone. Some things are more important than work. I nodded, even though TOS work superseded everything. Merry Christmas, guys, I said before I darted away. And call me later, I heard Eddie say before I got out of the diner. Theo? Mom called from the living room. Yeah, I headed for the stairs since I only had a couple of minutes before the call. Lorenzo had emailed instructions with a link to use, 
which was odd since it wasn't a TOS secure channel. She stepped into the hallway holding a roll of wrapping paper. You're back early, she said, a tinge of unease in her voice. I'd caught her wrapping something. A lot already sat under our tree, so I wondered what more she could possibly add. Don't worry, you've got time to finish. A code dart came in. I continued to the stairs. Oh. Her tone shifted, and she nodded. I'll leave you to it. Whatever the issue, she didn't seem to know about it. I'll work as fast as I can. I knew her thoughts were in the same place as mine. We wanted our Christmas, if at all possible. I took the stairs two at a time and grabbed the doorknob long enough for it to read my fingerprints and release the lock. Inside, I slid my backpack off and dropped it to the floor. I removed the puck from my jacket pocket before I got out of it and chucked it on the bed. At the desk, I logged into the TOS network as I put the puck on its end so the signature faced me next to the selfie from the summer of Eddie and me on a ferry ride. I clicked the link on the email from Lorenzo and my screen went black before the logo for NORAD, the North American Aerospace Defense Command, appeared. I'd done some government work before through TOS, but connecting to NORAD made me nervous and, at the same time, thoughts of war games played through my head. A single line of text under the logo read, Stand by for the meeting host. In less than a minute, the logo disappeared and the site asked permission to access my webcam and mic, which I granted. This is Colonel Robert Winston from NORAD. I'm here with Captain Jessica Marlowe and Lieutenant Samantha Cartwright from our IT department. Two-thirds of my screen showed the colonel as he spoke at the head of a conference table. The two women flanked him. They were all in uniform and sat inside a dull gray conference room. Four other images read down the right, one-third. Raptor, Lorenzo, Joanna, and me. I didn't usually think about my age in TOS gatherings, but I was decidedly the youngest one here. Raptor, who do we have from TOS? Colonel Winston asked. He went down the introductions, and since Joanna and Lorenzo each nodded when he called their code names, I did the same. No disrespect, but Winger seems quite young to have the clearances required for this meeting. He not only has the proper clearances, Raptor said. We rely on him to solve problems no one else can. He'll actively work alongside Dr. Possible. The colonel looked disbelieving. When he finally nodded, I exhaled and stopped clenching the arms of my chair. Let's get down to business, the colonel said. We lost control of the Santa Tracker website just as it went into Christmas Eve mode as 24 December began at the dateline. All attempts to regain control so far have failed. We're on the clock with a possible international incident occurring if we don't have it back online by 1700 hours. Someone hacked Santa? Was he serious? I'd seen the Santa Tracker on TV. Santa's location mattered when I was a kid. Of course, now, I know my parents used it as a ploy to get me to sleep. But back then, when Santa got near the East Coast, I made no arguments about going to bed. To give context on why this is important, Raptor jumped in. Each year, the Santa Tracker contains coded information for agents and organizations around the world. Yes. Some additional history, Colonel Winston said. The first time we reported Santa's location in 1948, it was purely a coded message, but it was picked up by the press as a cute story. In 1956, it became established as a way to disseminate sensitive messages in a very public way. There are other key holidays and events around the world that the intelligence community uses for the same purpose. If we don't transmit the expected information, there could be serious repercussions. Have you learned anything about what's impacting the site? Red Hat asked. It made sense for Joanna to ask the first question since Lorenzo and I worked for her. Captain Marlowe will provide that briefing. The colonel nodded once at her. The site worked normally from 1 December when we switched to holiday mode. However, when it became Christmas Eve and the site should have gone into tracking mode, a graphic came up with a red X over a fireplace hearth and the words, Santa is under maintenance. The website showing what Marlowe described replaced the camera feed. We've been unable to restore the original site. Efforts to trace the source of the hack have yielded nothing helpful so far. What methods have you tried? I asked. The feed switched back to the conference room as Marlowe and Cartwright elaborated. I scribbled notes, and Lorenzo did the same in his window. They hadn't missed anything I would have tried. You said you've deployed new versions of the site, and they end up hacked within seconds? Any idea how they're finding the new location so fast? I asked once they were finished. Our theories are that they are either locking onto a specific text or image, or that they've compromised our master code. We're checking on both options. I nodded as my mind ground on the problem. Can you grant us access to your system so we can review? Joanna asked. Yes, the colonel said. 
I'm transmitting that information to Raptor now. We'll have this channel open so you can collaborate with Marlowe and Cartwright. Are there others working on this as well? Lorenzo asked. No, the colonel said flatly. The information on this failure is need to know. Understood, Raptor said. I've received the access information, and I'm sending that on to Dr. Possible and Winger. Please keep me informed. Colonel, I'll be in touch. His screen went dark. Had Raptor just hung up on the colonel? There had to be a protocol there I didn't recognize. Doc, Winger, if you need anything, let me know, Joanna said. I'm limiting my knowledge on this at Raptor's request, but don't hesitate to ping me. Understood, Red Hat, Lorenzo said. Her screen went dark. Somehow I'd missed the colonel leaving the conference room. I guessed since Raptor was gone, he planned to leave the fixing to the four of us that remained. How do you want to proceed? Marlowe asked. Time moved way too fast. Lorenzo and I worked with the two NORAD officers for nearly three hours, and we were as stumped as they were. There had to be another way to go. Can we deploy a new server and start with clean server logs? I asked. The second the new site's deployed and the takeover happens, there has to be something we've missed. Starting fresh would eliminate the noise. We could easily deploy to another cloud server, and you could see for yourself what happens, Marlowe said. Let's do it, I said. Doc and I will work on that. Give us five minutes, Marlowe said, and we'll have what you need. While you're on that angle, we'll see what happens if we roll back time on the server clock. Perfect. A knock on the door signaled I needed to stop for a moment. I hadn't checked in with Mom, and she'd probably be curious if I'd be able to do dinner or anything else tonight. At this point, I had no idea, since I had no meaningful progress to report. I'm going on mute for a moment. I've got someone at my door. Doc, if you'll establish a link for you and me to work, I'll join you in a moment. Will do, Winger. I muted the transmission and went to the door. Dad's outstretched arms greeted me, and I stepped into the hug. I heard about the code dark, but I wanted to say hi and let you know I'm home. You doing okay? I stepped back from the embrace. Yeah, I'm fine. Frustrating problem. Looking forward to getting it sorted out so we can get on with Christmas Eve. What you're doing is far more important. I shrugged and nodded. Dinner will be ready in about an hour and a half. We'll bring it up to you if we need to so you can at least eat. It still seemed crazy that we were investigating a hack on Santa Claus. Weirdest holiday thing ever. I'll try to be done staving off an international incident before then. Which was the point, after all, since dinner time was quite close to the NORAD deadline. Dad grinned. That's my boy. I loved how he could make this seem so every day. I'd fielded a couple of texts from Eddie, who checked in on me to see if I'd get the family time. He wasn't pleased that I didn't know. I'll set my timer for 90 minutes so I can text you and let you know how it's going. That'll work, but remember, you don't have to rush for us. I know. If anybody gets it, it's you, Mom, and John. But I'd rather have our time, especially since John flies out on the red-eye tonight. We traded fist bumps before he headed down the hallway toward the master bedroom. And hey, welcome home. I'm glad you're back. Me too. He shot me a smile from over his shoulder. I retreated into my room and closed the door. He'd been deployed somewhere in Africa from what I knew. While he'd finished his mission two days ago, the routes he took to get home to cover his tracks were complicated. Back at the computers, Lorenzo worked with Marlowe as she prepared to launch a new version of the site. I've got the log file open, so I'll monitor what happens, Lorenzo said. We're also recording everything so we have it for the evidence record as well. Please proceed. Here it goes, she said. She typed on her keyboard and in mere seconds indicated the site was ready. On the screen, Lorenzo shared, initially the expected Santa Tracker homepage came up, but in 15 seconds, the hacked screen took over. Just to verify, I asked, this code came out of your repository. Yes, Marlowe said. Okay, we'll start analyzing, Lorenzo said. Winger, I'm sending you a copy of what I captured. Captain, we're going on mute until we have findings. We'll do the same, she said. I don't understand how this system is left so unsecured compared to the rest of NORAD, I said once Lorenzo and I were on private channel. If it's so important, why isn't it behind security like the other government systems? I've wondered that, Lorenzo said as he typed, his furious clickety-clack coming over my earbuds, unless that's part of the ruse to make this look unimportant. We poured over the log files and occasionally the site's code. We'd already tested turning off internet access, and it didn't revert to its normal state. Whatever was happening didn't depend on an ongoing internet connection. We also compared code from NORAD's repository with what was on the server. Look at line 367, Lorenzo said. Where do you make of that? 
I scrolled to where he was and saw the difference in a script. He'd found it. It's a code injection, but how? Inside job? Lorenzo asked. There's a content management system that updates the content based on time zones, not to mention the secret messages. Could be something there? One of the wildcards in our investigation involved how the secret messages got put in place. Marlowe wouldn't share information on that. Any traces showing the injection source? Lorenzo asked. No. Let me see if there's anything else this server could tell us. Stand by. I updated the logging routine and refreshed the page to see if any traffic other than mine was present. There was. Outgoing traffic from the analytics pixel got a response from something I couldn't identify. I unmuted the NORAD channel. Lieutenant, can you deploy the code from the repository into a new environment? There are things in the hacked page that I want to compare to a clean install. Of course, she typed on her keyboard as she continued to talk. You've discovered something? Maybe. The comparison will let me know for sure or not. It's done. I've left you the directory information in the chat window. Thank you. We'll keep you posted. I'm new to the channel. What have you got? Lorenzo asked. There's something fishy in the analytics. That would be a hell of a security hole for a lot of sites. For sure. I typed silently for a moment. Two things I want to try. One second. I went to the offline code they'd provided and opened another page on the site. Going over to the hacked version, I put in the URL and the page displayed immediately. See that? I asked. The only page impacted is the home page. But with it blocked, you can't access the menu to go anywhere else. So the hacked site isn't totally compromised? That seems sloppy. I don't get it. My voice dripped with frustration as nearly another half hour passed and we were no closer to solving the mystery of hacked Santa. What if you deploy your tracker bots and see where they go? You've got those honed to detect anything. I was thinking the same thing. We grinned at each other because this might be the break we needed. I opened up my toolbox, quickly refined one to make it more sensitive to injected code and deployed a fleet of bots. Okay, I said after a few minutes, I'm ready, access the site. He clicked with his mouse. As expected, Lorenzo's screen showed the hacked page within seconds. My monitor showed tons of information the bots collected, far more than I would have anticipated from a single page load. Something's definitely coming from the outside. Check out all this from a single click. On the little window that displayed Lorenzo, his eyes darted back and forth almost like he was in REM sleep. He read through lines of data almost as fast as I did. Wait, there it is. Lorenzo zoomed rows of data on my screen so I could see what he'd found. I don't know how they did it, but somehow the analytics script is allowing an injection of code. That's why there's the delay. Once the pixel fires, there's a lag for the malicious code to get in place. Do we have a trace on that? We should. I pulled up another set of data, and the path was clear. The pixel received information back and overwrote the page remotely. That explains why the script had the slightest adjustment. Not only did the hack impact NORAD, but anyone who used this analytics platform could be subject to a similar hack. I've got the IP address where the injection is coming from, and I'm locating the source. I'm notifying the FBI about this breach so they can alert the analytics manufacturer about this exploit, Lorenzo said. Before we shut this down, we should make sure we can apprehend the person who did this. Agreed. I think we could put a stop to it by blocking the incoming code. Let's talk to Marlowe and Cartwright. I think we could test the patch quickly. I unmuted the channel to NORAD. Captain, I believe we've got the issue. Lorenzo and I gave the officers a quick rundown. My trace on the injection has completed, I said as we finished discussion on what had happened. The origin of the server sending the injection is in a Caltech computer lab and is controlled by someone living in Pasadena. Please send us the address. We'll get some officers dispatched immediately. We can send TOS agents for backup as well, Lorenzo said. No, we'll take care of the hackers. Jurisdiction falls to Homeland. Understood. Winger, I need to update Red Hat and Raptor on our findings and that Captain Marlowe is sending in a team. I'll return in a few minutes. See you back here, Doc. I've set you up with clean code on five different hosts so you can run tests. I also need to make an update to the Colonel, so I'll leave you with Cartwright. Let's get this wrapped up, Marlowe said. Of course, Captain. The fixes I built tested out perfectly. The Santa Tracker appeared normally for us, and Cartwright verified that the encoded messages were in place. Once the testing satisfied Cartwright, she made the new site live to the public because we were so close to the deadline. In her view, the risk of the hacker escaping was acceptable. All right, Cartwright said just as Lorenzo rejoined, cross your fingers. She shared her screen showing the website. I loaded it onto two browsers and so did Lorenzo.
Unless the hacker has another way in that we didn't find, we should be good. I said that with as much confidence as I could, knowing full well that a crafty hacker could be difficult to beat. In this case, however, with time ticking on both the NORAD deadline and my family's Christmas, I hoped the end was near. Captain Marlowe came back and resumed her seat. A team should be at the hacker's location in the next two minutes. They're going in with cameras and comms active, so we'll be able to see and provide support. What's the situation here? Well, Cartwright updated her. Lorenzo texted me in our chat window. Who do you think is behind this? It seems like something Blackbird would try. International incident on Christmas? I responded, exactly. They've been too quiet since Denver, and so a holiday disruption wouldn't surprise me. Great work, everyone, Marlowe said, satisfied with the status. For the few minutes the Santa Tracker was back online, it appeared to be functioning normally. No page replacements. Analytics are working correctly, and traffic levels are rising to where we'd expect them for Christmas Eve. People on social media are already commenting that the site's back, Marlowe said. I'm patching in video now from the scene, Cartwright said. The feed from the strike team leader's vest cam took over the screen. At least a half a dozen voices sounded off as they charged into an apartment complex. The college students looked shocked at the rush of uniformed people into the central courtyard. The source is in apartment 211, said one of the team. All of the apartments opened into a courtyard. The leader looked up at the second floor and spotted the number before they took off to the stairs. The team went silent. Not surprisingly, the few people outside gave them a wide berth. In front of the apartment, the person wearing the camera stepped aside and someone with a battering ram stepped up. It took a single swing to splinter the door and knock it off its hinges. Shrieks came from inside, and as the camera view swung around, we saw a guy and a girl looking for cover. They wore jeans and t-shirts. What's going on? The guy asked, worry in his voice. The only electronics visible in the living room were a large TV on the wall and two phones on a coffee table. There were magazines and mail scattered around the table as well, and a pizza box on the floor. Is there anybody else here? The leader asked. Jess is in her room, I think, the woman said. What's happened? The leader turned to a woman. Cover them. The woman nodded and turned to the couple, who seemed frozen, standing in front of the couch. Without a word, the team moved down the hall. Two doors were open, and a quick look revealed a dark bathroom and a messy bedroom with a computer on the desk, running a screensaver. Check that, the leader said quietly, and one person stepped out of the group and sat at the desk. The leader turned back to the opposite door, which was closed. His gun flashed on the screen as he reached to the doorknob. It was locked. Without being asked, the battering ram carrier came forward and destroyed the door. Another shriek as the camera focused on a woman at a computer with six monitors in front of her. She was decked out in jeans, a red and green sweater, and a Santa hat. The leader leveled his gun at her. Back away from the keyboard and put your hands up. She made a couple of keystrokes before she complied. For someone with a gun aimed at her, her expression was quite belligerent. I didn't do anything, she said flatly. Another team member stepped up to her computer. She's deleting files, she said as she reached over to cancel the delete. Can we recover? Marlowe asked. Checking, the officer said. Sit on the bed, please, miss, the leader said, waving his gun in the direction of the bed. The room was immaculate and tidy. Everything was orderly from the book on the shelves to nothing on the desk but the computer and lamp. Not even a piece of stray laundry was in view. Not like the room across the hall or even the living room. I don't see a way to recover what she's deleted, the officer at the computer said. She's using a non-standard delete protocol. This is Winger from TOS. Can you please... One second, Winger. We'll get you patched on comms, Cartwright said. She tapped a few keys. Okay, go ahead. This is Winger from Tactical Operational Support. Can you give me access to the computer? If you'll adjust the settings to allow me past her firewall. On it, the officer said as she sat down at the keyboard. Done, she said in a few seconds. I already had the IP, so getting in with the firewall down was easy. I've got access. Give me a moment. You can't just sit down at my desk, Jess said. Do you even have a warrant? We don't need a warrant, since this is a matter of national security. There's nothing to find, 
So I'm just going to get to sue the government for invasion of privacy, she said, crossing her arms over her chest. She put on a good front. I suspected we already had enough, given the traces we ran, to have the necessary evidence, but I suspected I could find more. I found her logs and the connection she had opened to the Caltech computer lab. She'd run a delete there as well, which I stopped. I found data remnants on the Caltech servers. I suspected their protocols wouldn't allow her custom delete function. I restored everything on the server. The injection code had the unoriginal name of SantaHack. I started a copy of the Caltech server to the TOS cloud so it could be passed to Homeland. I found what we need, I said to the group on comms. The log files from her computer so that she executed a delete on the Caltech server. I recovered those files and I'm downloading everything for evidence. I'm working to see what I can recover from her personal computer before I copy it over as well. Caltech should be notified that the server should be considered evidence. Ma'am, the officer in front of Jess's computer relayed as I reported. We've got the evidence. It was just a prank, Jess said, going from stern to freaked out in a split second. I swear that's all it was. I had to prove myself and, you know, messing with Christmas and the government a little bit. It seemed like a great way to prove that I have skills. She did have skills. Not only had she done the hack, she'd done a number on her hard drive's directory structure. The logs hadn't yet been deleted, and that was her downfall, since all the evidence of her activity was there. What's going to happen? She asked. We're taking you into custody, the team leader said. My family. I'm supposed to go there tonight. After we process you, you'll be able to make a call, the leader spoke in a matter-of-fact tone. Lieutenant Blake, I got the name of the leader for the first time, please transport the prisoner, and once Winger has the files copied, seize the computer. I'll get back to you with further details on if she'll stay in Pasadena or be moved elsewhere. Yes, Captain. Winger, Dr. Possible, we thank you very much for your assistance. I think we've got this now. Cartwright, one last check. Is the site good? Cartwright tapped keys as she reviewed a screen. Yes, ma'am. Everything's normal. I'll continue to monitor to make sure everything triggers as needed. Very good. Marlowe smiled. I was glad she got to break the cool facade she'd worn for the past several hours. Winger, once you get those files to us, you can go enjoy the holiday. You as well, Dr. Possible. I'll get you the link to download from our secure server as soon as they're all in place, I said. I hope you and Lieutenant Cartwright also get to enjoy some of the holiday. Thank you, Marlowe said before she cut the connection. I immediately called Lorenzo and provided the secure greeting. Well, that was a way to spend Christmas Eve, Lorenzo said. I don't think I would have ever imagined having to fix the Santa tracker. Right? I kind of thought somebody was pulling a big holiday prank. Glad we got it done in time, though. I guess we literally saved Christmas. Not only did we prevent the whole international incident, but kids won't miss out on Santa's location. All on a day's work for TOSIT. You got anything special going on tonight? I got to head out to my brother's. He and his wife are hosting. My parents left a bit ago. Nice room, by the way. Looks like you're in an attic. Yeah, this used to be my room, though you'd never know it since my dad converted it to a man cave. At least it provided a good place to get out of earshot while we worked. Nice. I love that we were both in our rooms. We shared a laugh. I'll let you get going. Have a great Christmas. Hopefully we don't talk again until New Year's, unless it's to spend some time in Nazareth. Agreed. Merry Christmas, Winger. Merry Christmas, Doc. I hung up and quickly texted Mom and Dad to tell them I'd join them within the next ten minutes. Before I headed out of my room, I wanted the file copies sent to the captain so this would be officially wrapped up. While I waited on the copy, I texted Eddie to let him know I was finished. He quickly responded with two emojis, a smiley face and a Christmas tree. As soon as I walked out of my room, the aroma from the kitchen hit. I regretted the work had kept me from being able to cook with Mom, Dad, and John, but I'm glad they went ahead. Traditional Christmas Eve dinner became Belgian waffles, sausage, and maple-filled donuts before I was born. Mom had returned super late on Christmas Eve from a mission, and she and Dad went out to a diner. This meal was what they ate. Rather than going out, we made the waffles, sausage, and whipped cream ourselves, and picked up a dozen donuts from Duncan. None of us wanted to figure out how to make filled donuts since it seemed like we'd end up with a tremendous mess. As I arrived in the kitchen, 
Dad took waffles off the iron. They looked awesome in all their golden brown goodness. Mom worked at the stove with the sausage, which was typically my job. What can I do? I asked. It looks like everything's almost done. You're just in time. One more batch, and then we're ready. Dad precisely added the batter so it wouldn't spill out of the sides when he closed the lid. That proved to be my kryptonite, and why I didn't make the waffles, because too much batter ended up on the counter. If you want to get the fruit ready and warm the syrup, that'll be perfect, Mom said. I got the berries from the fridge. The strawberries had been sliced earlier so they could do their thing in sugar to make good syrup. I rinsed blueberries and blackberries and put them into bowls. The strawberries went into another. We didn't often care if the serving dishes matched, but it was Christmas, so we went more formal. We'd ordered Vermont maple syrup special. It'd go with the waffles tonight and make a reappearance at breakfast, which would be a feast since we cooked practically every possible breakfast food for Christmas. We'd prepare so much that it would become lunch, too. I poured the syrup into a saucepan and set it on medium heat. I thought I heard you in here, John said as he entered from the dining room. He must have been setting the table. Are you done for the night? I should be. Lorenzo and I saved the world, or so we were led to believe. Not a bad thing to do on Christmas Eve, Mom said, looking over her shoulder and giving me a warm smile. I agree. And even better that we finished in time for all of this. I gestured around the kitchen. I'm glad the smell couldn't get through my door, because that would have been torture. Don't say that too loud, John said. You don't want your enemies finding out the way to break you is with sausage and waffles. John and I chuckled. John, don't say things like that. Mom did not see the humor. I went to Mom, put an arm around her, and laid my head against her shoulder while making sure I didn't disrupt her cooking. It's okay. No, it's not. There's nothing funny about it, she said sternly. You both know better. Your mom's right, Dad said. Some things shouldn't be a joke. John held up his hands. You're right, of course. Sorry. The doorbell rang, which was odd since we weren't expecting anybody. Anyone who knew us would be aware that this was family time. It provided a good escape, though, from the kitchen to let the tension evaporate. I'll get it, I said. Keep an eye on the syrup, please. Got it, John said. The bell rang again as I quickly rinsed off my hands that had become a little sticky with the berries and syrup. I took the hand towel with me to dry off since whoever it was seemed a little bit impatient. I looked through the peephole and found someone dressed in an army dress uniform, which was oddly punctuated by a Santa hat. Yes, can I help you? I asked as I opened the door. The guy holding a red box appeared barely older than I was. The officer looked at his cell phone and back to me. Oh good, you're winger. He showed me the phone screen that had an image of me from the earlier video chat. That makes this less weird, I guess. He held out the box. Captain Marlowe requested I get this to you as quickly as possible. I took it and examined it. There was no writing on the package, which was about the size of the box the dozen donuts had come in. It also wasn't heavy, although there was slightly more weight in one of the corners. Thank you, sir. Merry Christmas to you and the captain as well. The officer nodded before returning to his dark sedan in the driveway. I noticed a person in the driver's seat. I closed the door and headed back to the kitchen where everyone carried dishes to the table. You got a present? Mom asked as she came over and studied the box. What is it? Dad asked as he passed with a platter of waffles. I have no idea. I went to the counter, put the box down, and pulled at the tape that sealed the top down the middle. It wouldn't budge. Mom handed over a knife. I stabbed into the top and ran it down so I could get my hands in to pull the sides open. A red envelope sat on top of a green sweatshirt. A coffee mug nested in a corner. Mom, Dad, and John gathered around, and given this was from the captain, I wondered if they should see it since there was a national security concern over the work I'd done. Nothing indicated this was secret, though. I opened the envelope, which wasn't sealed, and pulled out a card that had Santa in his sled flying through the air with his reindeer. The card read, Merry Christmas from everyone at NORAD Santa Tracker HQ. Marlowe and Cartwright had signed the card. The adults traded looks. They had to know this related to what had occupied me. I pulled out the sweatshirt and unfurled it to find the same Santa and reindeer that had been on the card, and under it a NORAD Tracks Santa logo, the same logo that had been at the top of the website. The red and green striped coffee mug had the same graphic on both sides. It was a nice thank you present. 
and it didn't even betray that I'd done something directly for them, since the card simply wished Merry Christmas. So you weren't kidding about saving Christmas, Mom asked, with the closest thing I'd ever seen her to smirking. I nodded and pulled the sweatshirt over the t-shirt I had on, because it was the perfect thing to wear for Christmas Eve. Let's eat before all this yummy stuff gets cold. We took our seats in the dining room. We'd already decorated in here earlier. The green with red trim table runner was down the middle, and the Christmas centerpiece of holly and berries, along with red and green cylinder candles, were in place. A small tree with multicolored lights sat on the sideboard. The living room tree would go up after we ate. I didn't think this would be the year that it could be you who'd miss part of Christmas, Mom said. It's possible you're growing up too fast. And I thought I was going to miss it, Dad said. If I'd ended up snowed in in Maine, I would have been extremely unhappy. I held back a laugh as Dad edited his language. I'm just glad it all worked out, I said, filling my plate with food. It may not go on this way too much longer. I didn't get sentimental often, but the holidays did it to me. We were an odd family in many ways because of what we did, so times like this were important. We dug into the food and talked about school, hockey, what John looked forward to with his parents tomorrow, what we hoped to find under the tree, and how fun it would be if we could coordinate a trip to get Christmas magic at Disney World some year. Once we got the kitchen cleaned up, we piled into the living room. The pre-lit tree turned out to be brilliant. I'd been skeptical when Mom had brought home a new tree. We'd always done fake trees because they were tidier and easier to deal with. But with the lights already in, it seemed like a cop-out. I'd enjoyed making sure the tree had the right balance of light all the way around. With the lights done, though, it meant I could start my second favorite thing, making sure the beaded garland felt just right. The swoops on each level had to be even, and going up to the next level had to be a gradual rise and not an abrupt jump up. We all had our tasks. Dad loved managing icicle placement after everything was on, while Mom placed the key ornaments in the right places. There were decorations, like the ones celebrating their first holiday together, my first, as well as the 12 days of Christmas ornaments, that had set places. She made sure they got there. John enjoyed doing whatever was needed, but he also snapped candid pictures. Every year he managed to get some priceless images, like Dad icicling Mom from two years ago, or me at age seven covered in tinsel. We had a Christmas story playing. It became our holiday go-to movie a few years back when we caught it on some channel that played it for 24 hours straight. The BB gun incident, getting stuck to the pole, and the way they lost their Christmas dinner were priceless moments that we paused to watch. Mom and I even got Dad a leg lamp ornament. As I finished getting the beads just right, Mom, Dad, and John had the ornaments laid out, grouped by color. We always had a color plan. And this year we were trying for a rainbow of color, going from purple at the top to red at the bottom. Mitch had come over a couple of years ago for tree trimming, and he didn't understand why we didn't just put the ornaments on the tree randomly. He knew I had particular ways I did some things, but he didn't realize that he extended to my parents in decorating. I appreciated trees that had an explosion of random ornaments, but I liked how our tree was distinctly us. Did you finish your gift for Eddie? Dad asked. Aren't you giving that to him tonight? Yep, everything is good to go. As soon as he starts getting ready for bed, I'll get notified and everything will start. I picked up the key and got the alarm code from his mom yesterday. So as long as he's not freaked out that I'm suddenly in his house, it'll all be good. I grinned at them. I figured out the perfect gift for Eddie based on things I'd learned last year during our first Christmas. I hoped he liked it. I'm sure he'll love it. A homemade gift is always perfect. Mom looked a little misty at the thought. I'd been a typical grade school kid, so they'd both received a lot of things that I'd made. They looked ridiculous now, but they could still make Mom and Dad reminisce about elementary school. Several of those things were going on the tree tonight. What I'd done for Eddie was about as homemade as it gets for me these days, since I did most of it on the computer. Try not to stay out too late tonight, Dad said. You want to make sure you're asleep before Santa gets here, he winked. I should have a pretty good in with Santa, so I'm not too worried about that. I smirked as I pointed at the sweatshirt. That got me the eye rolls I expected. We had our tree trimming system down, and it took exactly as long as the movie to get it done. It looked fantastic, colorful, sparkly, magical. 
Once we tidied up, we plopped down on the couch with hot chocolate and popcorn mixed with M&Ms and Reese's Pieces. Animated Christmas specials were on tap, starting with Charlie Brown. Instead of going until we fell asleep this year, we were either calling it a night when John had to go to the airport, he had a red eye to get to his parents in Boise by morning, or when I had to leave for Eddie's. The chirp from my phone sounding as the fifth special ended brought the night to a close. Outstanding evening as always, John said as he stood up. Make sure to tell your parents Merry Christmas from us, Mom said. And don't forget to take these. Dad got a large bag from behind the tree. John's mouth formed an O. Guys, you shouldn't have. He took the bag and didn't look inside where we had gifts for him and his parents. Yeah, we did, because it's not like you haven't left some pretty large things under the tree you didn't think we'd notice, I said. Hope you have a good trip. I gave him a back-slapping hug, and then we traded an explosive fist bump. I gave Mom and Dad quick hugs, too. Make sure to hug Eddie for us, Mom said as I headed upstairs. Will do. Mom and Dad walked John out, and I went to my room for a quick change and to pick up my backpack that contained everything I needed. Once I got in the car, I triggered the secret app I'd left on his phone a couple days ago. A five-minute countdown began, which would give me a head start before he'd get the message to start the app. It also gave him time to get back to his room. His norm was to put his phone on the charging dock on his nightstand, brush his teeth and whatnot in the bathroom, and then come back and either read or watch TV from the bed. The phone would play sleigh bells every 30 seconds after the five-minute mark to get his attention. Traffic was light, not surprising given the holiday evening, so I got to his house in seven minutes. His room faced the backyard, so he wouldn't see my car approach. I still parked down the block and across the street, just in case he was by a window he shouldn't be. The lights from his house, they used the old school large bulbs, lit up the front yard in multicolored splendor. The edges of the house, along with the molding along the windows, the front door, and even the sides running up the roof line were ablaze. I'd helped Eddie hang those at the beginning of the month, and neither of us anticipated the ladder work that had to be done to hit the peak of the roof. But it was the way his house had always been done, and he wanted to do it even though his dad had only wanted to do the front this year. At the door, I quickly turned the lock and slipped inside, darting quickly to the alarm panel to punch in the code. Luckily, it wasn't like ours that chirped with each button push, because that would have given me away. The Christmas tree was aglow in the living room. My watch vibrated to let me know that Eddie had tapped the app and begun the video. It would only be a few minutes before he came downstairs, provided he followed instructions. As quietly as I could, I laid out the things that I'd brought. Christmas cookies I'd made with Mom yesterday, several containers of frosting in different colors, plastic knives to spread with, cans of icing that could be used for writing or piping, a thermos of hot chocolate made fresh before we started trimming the tree, and the book that would be his present. I stowed the backpack behind the big recliner that stood adjacent to the tree. I sat down there and waited with the book in my lap. The chair faced the staircase, giving me the perfect view of him coming down. I fought the urge to keep checking how far along he was. I'd get a notification when he finished. There would also be a ping if he abandoned the video early. That would certainly be the indication that I'd pick the wrong gift. I had no doubt, though, that this was going to be pretty epic. Time passed so slowly. Finally, hearing footsteps moving quickly down the stairs made my heart thump in my chest like a bongo drum. I resisted the urge to meet him because I wanted him to come fully into the living room to see the spread as well as me in the chair. He looked into the room before he got to the bottom of the stairs. His smile caught the light just right and made him look dazzling as the colors played off his eyes. From the surprised look, you'd think he'd spotted Santa Claus. I thought it might explode from seeing all the wonder and love radiating from him. Oh my God, Theo, how did you... This is like the best... How are you even here? Come here. The grin never left his face as he came toward me. I got up, left the book in the chair, and met him for the biggest hug ever. I thought he was going to squish me as he lifted me off my feet. He finally set me down and peppered my forehead and face with so many kisses. It's the best Christmas ever. Just amazing. He held me as he talked. And what's all this? You told me the best part of story time was getting to frost cookies and have hot chocolate to get ready for Santa. I couldn't leave those out. I know I'm not your grandmother, but I hope this might be the next best thing. 
It's so perfect. A tear escaped from his eye, and I brushed it away with my thumb. She'd love that someone did all this for me. Last year, we talked about Christmas traditions. While I'd laid out all mine, his story was about one that he missed. His grandmother had passed a couple of years ago, and when they'd visit her for the holidays, they had a Christmas Eve routine. They'd read Twas the Night Before Christmas, and then frost a special batch of cookies for Santa while they drank hot chocolate. Eddie remembered it with such a fondness tinged with sadness that I was determined to find a way to recreate it. He showed me pictures from childhood Christmases, and one of them showed him sitting on his grandmother's lap while she read. I'd asked Mrs. Cochran to show me the picture again a few months ago because I wanted to try to find the exact edition of the book. Since you can buy everything on eBay, I was able to find it. This is yours too. I stepped out of the hug and got the book. You'll have to read it to your kids one day. He took the book and stared at the Santa on the cover. A couple more tears fell. I have no idea how you got this. He flipped through the pages. It's exactly like the one she had. I saw it in the video, but I had no idea you bought it. I thought it might have come from the library or something. You, by the way, did an amazing job with the reading. I almost watched it again before I came down here, but I didn't want to keep my personal Santa waiting. Mitch had helped me record the video, and then it was just a matter of editing to show off the pictures from the book as I read. Eddie had talked about loving the drawings, so those had to be in the video. I stepped up into him and kissed his lips. Your Santa appreciates that you came right down. He clenched the book to his chest, much like he'd been hugging me earlier. We stared at each other for a few moments. I'd had no idea, Eddie being my first boyfriend, how much his looks of love could make me so insanely happy. I hoped I gave him the same back. I didn't think he could look at me like he did if his feelings weren't strong. So, Eddie said, do you think we've got time to do the cookies before Santa gets here? I held down a laugh. Given everything I'd gone through earlier, asking me if we had time before Santa's arrival struck me as hilarious. Well, I'm sure he'd understand if we were running late. I hear he makes special dispensation for boyfriends who are in the middle of giving each other presents. Oh, really? Eddie asked with a tone that sent shivers up my spine because it was so mischievous. Since when do you have the direct line to Santa? Well, you know, I can't talk about my clients, but that quip I could get away with. He locked his sparkly eyes on mine for a moment before he busted out a laugh that he very quickly softened. He didn't want to wake his mother. You are such a goofball, and I love you for it. He gently put the book on the coffee table, took my hand, and led me around to the couch so we could sit next to each other while we decorated. So who do I have to thank for the cookies? He asked as he helped open containers. Mom and I baked yesterday, and she helped make the frosting before the game this morning. Wow. I know you helped your family cook for the big meals, but I never imagined you making cookies. You must really like me or something. As he said that last bit, he leaned in close, sort of nudged his face into my cheek, and planted a kiss. Oh, and I have proof. I pulled my phone from my pocket and showed him the selfies we took along with some that Mom snapped. There were ones of me mixing the dough, rolling it out, of both of us using the cookie cutters, and of me coloring the frosting. See, I can be a chef. More accurately, the pastry chef, he said. These pictures are everything. You're going to send me these, right? I need to keep them with all the stuff that relates to this amazing gift. Maybe I can get Mitch to make a calendar out of those, too. I tapped on the phone screen, and in a moment his phone buzzed in the pocket of his sweats. He pulled it out and tapped. There, now you've got them. I set my phone on the table in front of us. I can't believe he made that for you. I'm glad he did. I'll have that hot image with me forever. I groaned. What? He took my hand in his. You are hot, he said softly. Shall we get to frosting? I said, betrayed by a small squeak in my voice. For sure. He took a knife, grabbed a tree, and started spreading frosting. Thank God he let that moment go. I'd brought two dozen cookies and Eddie proved to be quite the artist between using the frosting we'd whipped up, along with some of the finer tips from the canned frosting. Compared to his, my cookies looked like grade school drawings. We frosted cookies and ate some while we drank hot chocolate and traded stories of favorite childhood Christmases. 
He said the best gift he ever got was a Nerf arm blaster from the Transformers movie. Apparently, he became quite the terror shooting at everyone that winter. He looked at me a little suspect when I told him that my favorite was when I was 10 and got the most high-powered PC on the market. That computer eventually led me down the path where I am today, including perpetrating the hack on my parents' phones the next summer. We should grab a couple of pictures to mark tonight, Eddie said. Eddie was a pro at the selfies, in no small part because of his long reach. He snapped a picture of us holding a couple of our cookie creations. We also took pictures with mugs of cocoa while standing in front of the tree, and I took one of him hugging the book to his chest. I made sure I had a copy of that one because of how overwhelmingly happy he looked. The last picture was of us kissing in front of the tree. I don't know how that one turned out as good as it did because neither of us looked at the camera when he took it. Somehow he held the camera just right to snap it. This would go down as one of the best Christmases ever. Not only in the weirdest turn of events ever did I have a handed saving Christmas, but I'd spent a wonderful evening with my family and then my incredible boyfriend. I didn't know if it could get any better, but I already looked forward to next year to see if anything could top it. That concludes A Very Winger Christmas, written and read by Jeff Adams. For more information on the Codename Winger series, you can go to codenamewinger.com. A Very Winger Christmas is copyright 2018 by Jeff Adams. Production copyright 2018 by Jeff Adams. <laughs>